Mary Burns, and this is The Reason for Time, the 10th episode of a podcast about memory, truth, invention, and time, and how they came together in my novel. It so happens that 1919, the year I wrote about, was also the year that Albert Einstein's theory of relativity was proven. The relativity of time became a popular topic for cartoonists and newspaper writers. Nobody could quite understand it. Einstein tried to simplify. When you're chatting with a lover, time speeds. The meeting is always over too soon. But when you're doing a chore, the time seems to drag. He also said that the only reason for time is so everything doesn't happen at once. One of the questions an author is sure to get is, how long did it take to write the novel? Well, the simple answer is, in this case, a lifetime. With my grandmother being the inspiration, the gradual unfolding of what I could find out about her life, the sudden shocking introduction of the streetcar conductor into our family history, add the reading I've done, Influences that go way back to when I was a teenager and I read more than doing anything else and was entranced by the writers of the early part of the 20th century. Then writing, teenage poetry, hesitant short stories, at last my first book, a story collection. I wanted each new work to stretch me craft-wise. As well as telling a story, I wanted to explore the process of storytelling. It's a different kind of approach than some writers take, I know. Some are concerned with frequent output. Some even try to write a novel in a single month, November, NaNoWriMo, or National Novel Writing Month. I couldn't do that. One sentence follows another. Narratives happen in time. And I'm a writer who creates many drafts at least three full-length drafts for each novel. Earlier in this podcast, I explained the trial and error that went into the novel I've been talking about. That's one reason for time. As I found out when I was researching the book, still another reason for time is to reflect upon how long it takes for society to change. The race riots I talked about last week? Well, as I mentioned, there is still trouble Big trouble, especially manifested in the tense relationships between black and brown people and the police. Historians have noted that the summer of 1919 was the first time that black people fought back against unfair treatment by the police and others. Today we have Black Lives Matter, an organization that tries to fight back with words and peaceful demonstrations. Yet another reason for time is to think about the lives we've led, how they happened, what it all amounted to. That's the reason that applies to my story of Maeve Kura. While the action takes place when she is 20, it has taken her whole life for Maeve to acknowledge the truth of what happened that week in July. If there is such a thing, truth I mean, for might that not be relative to Speaking of relatives, I promised to come back to the streetcar conductor who aroused my curiosity. His existence is still a mystery. Maybe my mother's cousin Bob had it wrong, 
Oh, that must have been the streetcar conductor, he said, and I didn't have the wits to pursue it at the time. Instead, my thoughts were cartwheeling from streetcar conductor? You mean, and she didn't, and Mom never said, and, and then Bob died. And on my next trip back to Chicago, his widow, whom I visited, couldn't tell me any more. So there he remains, real in my imagination anyway, if that is not a contradiction in terms, which it is not for a writer. The streetcar conductor has become the person I blame for weaknesses in some relatives. The tendency towards teenage depression in some of our young Oh, that must have come from the streetcar conductor. Those extreme political views? Him again, the fellow in the dark blue uniform with the shiny buttons, who tipped his hat to a young Irish immigrant girl I call Maeve Cura in my novel, where he was a bigoted SOB who may have got what he deserved. SOB is an expression my dad used to use. The man in my book could have been my grandfather. In so-called real life, the life outside my imagination, what happened and how and with who, I don't know and I never will. Listen to Ethel Witty reading as Maeve on July 30th, 1919, as she tramps halfway across the city to find the streetcar conductor who determined her future. Chicago was bigger than Margaret and me had experienced. We'd been to some parts, and they became the city we knew, the Loop most common, and our neighborhood on the near west side. South of the Loop we knew only as the place to ride through on our way to White City and Prairie Avenue. White City, the amusement park, was the furthest south we ever went. Prairie Avenue was closer, where the grand mansion stood. I veered off state over to Prairie because I'd walked that street plenty of times, first when we arrived and Margaret was looking for a job, then later to meet her at the house where she assisted the older lady did the laundry for one of them stately households, the one she finally quit on account of the husband and his slick ways. It was shady there and quiet at the north end of Prairie, another world, sure, than the one existed a couple of blocks west, and in the spot I chose to rest no one but me sat on the curb. No matter, it looked odd. Odder here without the same crowd filled the loop. But then wasn't everything odd that week in Chicago. I'm a small woman. I have always been small. And I knew how to make my way, but I was also a woman with tormented feet. And I didn't dare loosen laces anymore. Because a hurt contained was more manageable than when it spilled out for me and all the world to see. Laughter sparkled the air, but me not the target of it. No, only a young couple, both dressed in white and him carrying a basket to the car waiting in front of the big house nearest to where I sat. In a ribbon of sun unrolled through the leaves on the big tree, I saw the girl's blonde curls bounce, and I heard someone calling from the door, Missy, Missy, you don't forget this here lemonade I fixed you. This somehow made them laugh again, the golden ones, and I was after thinking two things. There could be as many colored as patty maids, and the golden couple, they must be off for a picnic in their motor car, a picnic somewhere trouble couldn't sneak up on them. If they found themselves alone, her no doubt in a fetching bathing costume with all the proper accessories, and them secluded, 
because most Chicagoans wouldn't be staying in it if they could. What would they do? Thought got me uncomfortable and wound me back to Desmond on top of me, pushing into my deepest parts, probing with that part of him I'd not yet touched, the tender gate to the insides I'd not known before. And then didn't I remember the bruise on my bottom I dared not complain about to Margaret? How might it have gone for my sister and me if Margaret had looked for another big house wanted to bridge it after she quit the first? Somewhere she'd have a nicer room and all the food she wanted and wouldn't have to risk her eyes sewing. Them splendid houses rising three to four stories high with windows set right in the roofs on some of them and decorative chimneys and curtains every bit as plush as those we'd seen at the theatres. Plaster work inside like the Palmer house itself and marvellous chandeliers. One of these would have been a better place for Margaret, I thought then. But she might not have met Harry, who pleased her, if not always me. No, never good to reconsider, for all things change. What seemed sensible, even wise, can seem foolish in retrospect, and a foolish choice can turn out to have been the wise one. If every piece of a life could be put alongside all the other pieces to see how one fits into the other, neat as a jigsaw puzzle, but no, we are not given that view from above. Only one, the one we get as if from the back of a train, watching all we've been through yet further away. Not that any such ruminations took up all my thoughts. No, not them. But the bread in my pocketbook and that bit of cheese, both of which I nibbled at daintily, as if I'd been sitting inside one of them fancy houses and not on the lip of the street outside. Just as when I arrived in the city, no one noticed me. I might have been invisible there beneath the green arms of that lovely tree, where birds perched and a breeze stirred and a single leaf drifted, drifted down into my lap. Funny, that. A leaf curled and browned at the edges in midsummer, as if to remind that time is just something we imagine. Sometimes a train speeded up past all we want to hang on to, sometimes stalled on the tracks in the suffering heat. Could be yesterday I sat there fiddling with the crisp spine of that fallen leaf. When I got up to continue on my way, I did not think of Desmond every step either, no, but every other, and devoted the struggle with my, seat, my feet for the sake of his recovery. It is easier to bear pain, said the Sisters of Perpetual Grace. If you offer it to our Lord, who hung on the cross for three hours, his head bleeding from the crown of thorns and nails pounded right through the holy flesh of his hands and feet. Imagination necessarily filled out all I didn't know. First, what had happened. Could be my man talking rough to one of the Negroes and being attacked, them young, young coloreds bolder because of the trouble already started on Sunday. Sunday. Or maybe a scene made him look like the kind of man who'd win a medal, defending a body on his car, maybe a child, one like I'd tended in Florida, but older so, to be on the car by herself. Maybe even his mates from the old neighborhood, boys from some of those wild clans, came together for sport, they claimed. Young mix fired up by drinks, some of them. Not Packy, him not a drinker or much of one, though he liked his beer, Packy did. Those young boys from the clubs with the eyes burned. They'd be men. Could have joshed him. Come on, let us have her, Desi. Of course, I liked the picture, made him look the best, and it could have been true, or he might have been torn at the moment, not being fond of niggers himself, but still and all the man in charge of the car, obliged to defend his passengers. The recollection of me dawdling there on Prairie Avenue surprises me, I have to confess. Yet it is true I enjoyed the tweet of birds hidden in the branches above me, 
The rhythm of a hammer pounding not far off gave a kind of comforting order to the hour. Music, too. A piano. Maybe a girl practicing the same over and over. Scales. I dreamed then that when we married we would buy a piano for our children, and on a summer day I would step outside and listen to them playing simple melodies, rival the songs of the thrush for their beauty. This got me going again, and once up, the vague image of those piano-playing children quickened my pace, for there'd be no wedding if no man to marry, and if I favoured one foot the further I went, was not the foot preoccupying me. The sun climbed to its highest, its hottest, dazed, Stomping on dogs might as well have been dead, they were that numb. Words on signs entered my eyes naturally as light. Apron factory, lampshade maker, steam laundry, taxi yard, stables with an arrow pointing down an alley and the predictable stench of piss-soaked straw, auto cushions, a little grocery with boxes and cans of food in the window. Not much. Nobody wanted to make deliveries to the black belt, said the papers. Not surprising so, since a white peddler on his cart had been shot somewhere not far from here. Didn't I hope I would see no blood on the street? A child scrambled out the door of the little shop, crossed my path, a colored child, barefoot, in short pants, but with no shirt to cover shoulders round and burnished as off-turned brass doorknobs. He ran then, disappeared into one of the skinny buildings with paper signs in the window advertising rooms for rent. Mercy Hospital next, with its peaked gables and arched windows and shade trees along the walk in front. Policemen in groups of two or three at each side of Prairie, checking motor and horse traffic, and at the main door of the hospital a doughboy with a rifle standing guard, meant Major Thompson given in to the governor and the news he sat at right about the troops helping out. If this had been my destination, I would have had no fear of entering, not with that sh soldier at the door, but no... I had to leave the less magnificent here, but still quiet Prairie Avenue for Wabash, then State Street, to get to that corner of Dearborn where he lay. The shouts of two white boys in opposite corners, one with the trib, one with the examiner, comforted me for the familiarity of the sound of young voices bellowing, though the news had got no better, or much newer, in the hours had passed. Whole police forces on riot duty. Authorities say situation is in hand. Battles start up at night. I had not gained more than a couple of blocks past Mercy when I heard a sharp noise. Could have been an automobile. They were always after blowing up back then. But that day and that week it was most certainly a gunshot. Not that I'd heard gunshots often. Cannons, yes, for celebration. And once in Florida, someone firing a rifle at some wild animal. Two, the sad sound of a report back of Uncle Thomas's house the day he had to shoot his only horse on account of her having gone lame, too lame to get herself out to the grass. Me inside the house, biting my lip because I knew we had to do it, but she was the only horse I'd ever climbed on to the back of, and though she'd only walked around a bit, it never took much of my healthy imagination to think myself Maeve of the fairies and us riding through the sky. Just a wee one I was then. It may be only because I am looking back I think it was the gunshot I heard on Prairie Avenue the way you do when knowledge and experience work on memory. But whatever I thought it was stopped me. Stock still, I stood there on Prairie Avenue. There were others on the street, a few, and they started running, and someone hollered at me, Better get out of here, miss. Across Prairie, hand on my head to steady the hat, I trotted down a street to the side where I heard more gunshots, no mistaking them a second time, and the clanging bells of police cars driving as fast as they could. Yet closer and strange, considering, 
The ragtime music would make you want to tap your feet, some on some other occasion. Did the player not realize all going on outside his tavern or the body house, whatever it might be? With the danger around me, I had to find some kind of shelter and picked out what looked like the entry of a store. From there, crouching in the shadow of an overhang, I saw a crowd of boys. They were boys with skin pale as mine, whipped by two fast for me to count, suspenders flying off the backs of some of them, many with their cloth caps, others in the fedoras men wore, yelling most of them, a terrible ruckus coming from their crowd. One throwing rocks I believe he must have taken from his pockets, aiming at whatever target seemed likely, maybe chasing someone, and then didn't I want to turn around and go back to the market building or bridey somewhere safe? But how, how? And if I went back, would I ever find out about Desmond? More noticeable, too, were the grisly billows from fires rioters had set. My nose stung and my face needed mopping. I opened the door of whatever enterprise I stood outside of and stepped inside. No store, though. Only stairs leading up and looking down, fright on her face, same as fright must have been on mine. A colored lady in a flowered yellow wrapper is startled to see me as me to see her. What y'all doing here? You get yourself out for you cause some trouble, white girl? A rustling came from behind her, then, and another lady, bigger in size, also dressed in a wrapper, but a red one with black lace around the throat, and her hair straightened to twirl into arrangement, made her appear an, Am an Amazon queen, like any you would have seen on the cover of a Tarzan book. Though it's true I was looking up, and maybe she only seemed tall from my angle. Her lips full, rouged with something made them shiny, and that smaller woman in yellow moving behind her, letting her take over. While the lady in red did not invite me in, her voice had more kindness in it, so. Y'all be careful, honey. You keep yourself hid under your big old garden hat, and nobody'll bother you, but you stay away from Walgreens here. Where those big mobs get together, just stick to the side streets. You're going to be all right. I don't know where you belong, but it ain't here. You better get yourself on. That voice of hers, lazy, even in the circumstances. Creamy like the cocoa the sisters would fix us at Christmas time when we got as many oranges as we could eat, and sometimes a letter had traveled from Ennis all the way to Florida, and we'd read it again and again. That's how I remember that lady, kind in her way, despite who she was, should have scandalized me. I should have been outraged to have stumbled into such a house. Or maybe they were ordinary women wearing wrappers because they'd slept late and the tall one had started the day by putting on her makeup. She was a woman, anyhow, and had enough softness in her I wanted to shelter there until the trouble ended, or forever, and have her bathe my feet and offer me something cool to drink. But I didn't say anything nor put so much as a toe on the stair leading up. Go on, she said, chewing me git. And I saw why, when a man wearing no more than a soiled undershirt over his bare brown chest and a hat, a straw fedora, raced past me, taking the stairs two, even three at a time, and the light streaming in with the open door flashed on something silver, a razor, a knife. She shooed me away for my own protection. But where to go? Sign full of holes said 30th Street, meaning six blocks more to walk before I reached Provident Hospital. Side streets not like the Chicago I knew at all, with buildings so important they had names like a person. Marquette Building. Modenock Building. And rose higher than a person's normal eyes could reach. No. Here stood narrow bungalows of wood or brick set on small lots, some nicer than others, painted, and with fences matched the railings round the porch. 
That's the best of what this poor road offered. The worst consisted of simple bare boards, flimsy doors shut up despite the heat. In front of one had its parlor windows broken out. Household belongings tumbled together on that patch of dirt, and yellow weeds passed for a garden. Mixed in with the bushes against the house foundation, shirts and briefs spilling out on enamel basement, a simple chair on three legs, a pair of men's shoes held together by the laces, a washboard. Down the block, some front porches sagging and a couple of children on one, others empty. Except for them two small heads I saw above the porch rail, there was no one out on this street. But people had to be inside the broken houses, and I feared someone watching me from behind them whole, and also shattered windows, and I walked faster. If I could have shut my eyes and still walk, I would have done it, for hadn't I gone and got myself into a situation bad as I'd ever been in, and there was nothing for it but to continue. And I thought of praying, and did pray, the way you do when it's the first thing surfaces in your mind before you think about the good of it, or even if you believe. It's that natural to some of us, and so I acknowledged my sins and promised penance, if this was not it arriving uninvited. Then I was there at Wabash, and hurried over without looking left or right to find the source of the yelling. Came from how far off I wouldn't know. I was not the only innocent out, but one of few, and no one else dared raise their heads to see what colour face would greet them. For if there were others like me, and there were, sure, those light-skinned people from other countries got to Chicago first and resented the Negroes moving into the neighbourhood. There were not many, and there I was about to head further south, where the blend of brown and white would begin to favour the darker of the two. I just had to slip across state, under the L-track, and continue along to Dearborn. I had to do it, same as crossing the endless ocean of water on the Mauritania. To get to where you wanted to be, you had to make the crossing, and so... Waiting only for the now and again traffic braved South Street, not even letting myself enjoy the bit of cool beneath the elevated, I hobbled over with my eyes down on the bricks made the street. One glance was enough to see the way was clear, but that one glance also showed me the big crowd a few blocks down on State. Had to be gangs of Negro men, and policemen keeping them from getting out of hand, soldiers too in their brown uniforms, carrying rifles and standing firm along the edge of the street blocks down near the Walgreens drugstore the big lady warned me about. I did not let myself enjoy the fact that I'd made it to the other side, but turned left once I'd got to Dearborn and passed houses so poor the three-flat Margaret and me called home looked like a Prairie Avenue mansion by comparison. Wasn't everyone in the city got rich, but I'd never thought myself among the well-off till I spied those clapboard excuses for dwellings, near bad as the poorest parts of Venice. Pools of water in vacant lots, though it hadn't rained for days or even weeks, and maybe sewage had seeped there smelled bad enough. Garbage, cats nosing after rats, clothes hanging limp and dirty from lines strung across the distance between one porch and another, same as back of Bridie's, but the nappies gray as if they'd never been washed at all. I'd not walked all this way to gawk, and in the smoke, dense as autumn fog, I could not see clear anyway. Throat burning it was. Air worse than it ever got downtown, and Lord, help us if the wind changed direction and came from the west, gathering the stench of Bubbly Creek. Not that much wind blew, if I recall, and I do trust my recollections, because for a while I had the book where I wrote my notes, all of what came before that week in Chicago. Then the airship crashed to the Sunday, and what transpired after. I skirted the actual event of the Sunday, just as the pictures would skirt it with billowy clouds and lush music. 
I can see it now, my writing good as the nuns had taught us. He kissed me and then it happened, the thing that ensured we would be. We're already man and wife. More than I needed to write and all the gushing too about Anna Ava Ray. Came the time I didn't want to be reminded of Anna even of my sightings of the good people, because them, or magic or God, whatever it was, had forsaken me at the hour when I was most in need. Must have been the lying, did it? All I'd invented and excused on account of necessity, guaranteed I'd suffer in this world if not the next. And I'll soon enough find out about that, having reached the age I have. Writing the week on paper firmed the memories in my brain like photographs do. I had few of those, even if more in the years followed, when the family took pictures for every occasion, and I was always included in the ones snapped when a new baby came home. Looking over those pictures, I could tell which child it was only by the changes in my mug. The hair no one told me about growing out of my chin, or I would have plucked it, for it brought back an image of Bridie. I kept a magnifying glass to use with the paper, and it would have worked just as well with the mirror, but I thought to use it had I thought to use it with the tweezers. That hair, the fleshy, sags beneath the corners of my mouth. The book, then. What few photographs there were, and of course her, too, reminds me of everything without saying a word. These things support my recollections. As grand as mercy, Provident was not. Blocky or so with none of the peaked gables and arched windows of the bigger hospital well behind me, but a covered entrance all the same, and it nearly as high, and as many armed men guarded it as the other, for, as I would find out when time and the quieting of my heart let me concentrate on the papers again, there had been more of the storming going on, same as the Palmer house, a white mob looking for whites inside. Black mobs, too, but why they should siege their own hospital I never did learn. Did explain, though, why the doughboys in their brown, flat-brimmed hats and their long rifles stood in front, for the policemen in Chicago were none too popular with the coloreds, and those didn't know why found out later in news of the injustices done. Trouble had been simmering since the month before, when they never arrested any of the gang had murdered two Negro men right on the street, even though a white woman had witnessed the crime and told the papers as much. Nobody official ever paid the price for their wrongs, but so went Chicago then, and it may go now. It has been years and all since I visited Margaret on the Bluebird bus, and even if I could have made the trip and sat down with my sister and her husband, when Harry was alive, wouldn't have been them set the record straight. For Harry in particular never thought much of the coloreds to begin with, and after the riot summer, things only got worse in his eyes. But then, the second Wednesday of them ten days unforgettable, there I finally stood, Near him who'd drawn me across the city, half on feet would never be the same, not that I could have bragged about their previous condition. I needed to catch my breath and freshen myself. Hope for a washroom or water from somewhere to drink and splash on my face felt red as a poker straight out of the fire. Here at last, and I let it flood, all the feelings that pictures and stories call love, warm and terrifying at once. Every bit I'd been holding back for the man inside. The hair rich in colors, the most beautiful bay horse. Them eyebrows made me smile with all they said, joking. The eyes themselves, including the one tended to wander. Not such a deficit after all, for it had kept him from the worst of the war. Them beautiful hands, long-fingered, and the feel of his mouth so close to my cheek and the weight of him on me pressing down. Desmond, I'd whispered, and I whispered it again on the front step of Provident Hospital. Minutes away from seeing him, and I prayed though God must have thought me a fickle one, prayed he'd be awake, 
The head injury maybe knocked him out, eased enough by this day he could recognise her who'd made her way through the chaos to lay a loving hand on his cheek. Desmond. A hospital for Negroes, especially for Negroes, so what would I be doing there? "'Twas the first question asked me by a shoulder at the entrance. "'Can I help you, miss? "'I came to see my... "'What to call him stopped me, "'for husband had not yet become legally true, "'the man I am promised to. "'I read it in the papers. "'You know this is a Negro hospital. "'A fellow younger than me, though taller like most, "'and a very narrow-faced hand, "'and teeth could use some fixing, "'but not so harsh voice he threatened me. I do, but he was hurt here, near here, the paper said it, and I checked. I didn't say what I checked, but all the same, with my oft-practiced skills, I convinced the fellow, and he stepped aside and let me enter that place, smelled of sick and rubbing alcohol, that rusty blood order I knew from my monthlies, and the accidents I'd seen on the street involved more horse blood than human, but it smells the same blood. Fans above, spreading out those perfumes to any of us dared entered as if warning us, and women... Various hues of coloured women in their long dresses and their long white aprons atop and their white caps striped with black. Right away one of them came up to me, Maeve Cora, whose best shirtwaist was near ruined from the great circles of perspiration her elbows aimed to hide. Her face flushed, her big hat tilted maybe crazily, and she said to me, Do you have permission to be here? Can I help you? Behind her the bustling of people in their hospital uniforms and someone rolling past on a stretcher, a blanket pulled over the face had to be dead sure, and I could only swallow, and then the tears came, and though it was Margaret who was the crier, not me, they poured as if from an overturned jug, and I couldn't stop. For what if it was Desmond lying under that sheet and rolling down the corridor barely lit? What if I was too late? Thanks to Ethel Whitty for reading Maeve. Thanks to Harris Dixon for producing and editing, and Hans Nelson for technical advice. Remember to visit The Reason for Time on Facebook. We can continue the discussion there if you post a question or message me. You can find the book online or order it from your local independent bookstore, like Women's and Children's Bookstore in Chicago, or ask for it at the library. That may take a little longer, but I think you will find it worth the wait. I'm Mary Burns, and I very much enjoyed sharing my thoughts with you. Thanks for listening. Here's Scott Joplin's Sweet Bethana to lead us out.